great to have you this morning. My name is G. I serve as executive pastor here at the City Life Church. Those of you here, those who are watching us online, uh, great to have you guys this morning. Uh, this morning, uh, I have a couple things. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while to uh, stand before you today as in the pulpit again. It's, it's such a privilege. Uh, I want you to know that be able to stand before you to open God's word. We don't take this lightly. When we stand here before you, we want to make sure that what we are saying, what we communicate to you is coming from the Lord, coming from the word, and we want to make sure the tradition of preaching and the sermon is grounded and grounded well. And so, great to have, great to be here this morning. Before I enter into the sermon itself, I just got back from Israel. I mean, some of you actually, actually many of you are in front of me, and you guys all went to Israel with me. Ah, come on, it's, it's amazing. Uh, this is a group, uh, we just, this is uh, in front of the, the, the Temple Mount. There's a little golden dome there. There's a dome of the rock. That doesn't matter that much. But, but there's actually another place that's, you know, there's a joke. I, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if I should tell you. But I think they built the place in the wrong place. Um, but only you will know that when you come with me to Israel, I'll prove it to you that the location is actually that is inaccurate. But only to say we, were, we had a great time in Israel. Uh, it was great to uh, uh, show my friends and family what it's like. Uh, to me, going to Israel has always been, since 2006, a mission uh, for me personally to bring as many Christians to Israel as possible. Uh, multiple reasons, but one thing is it's just... Change the way you read the Bible. Yeah. You get to walk at the place where so many of patriarchs and matriarchs, the heroes of faith that have once walked, and you stand there and you see the Bible come alive. And so my encouragement to you is we actually, good news, we are going again next year. We already got the date set, June 5th through 14 next year. If you uh, haven't been to Israel, if you want to go back, you can too, obviously. We never stop anyone from going back. Matter of fact, I think, I, mean, I, I think I'll be the most experienced one. I've been there so many times, I stopped counting after 100. Um, but that's to say, I want you to go. Uh, I want you to see the place for yourself. And then really, it will encourage you. It's the best, I say, uh, spiritual investment that you can make in your journey of faith, okay? Sounds good? So hopefully you'll be able to join us. If you're joining us for the first time, if you've been with us, we are going through the book of Genesis. Are you guys excited? Okay, there you go. I, I, I feel a lot of juice that's coming from right here. They just got back from conference, you know, like you got to feed off of that. It's like, give it to me. Um, Genesis is such an interesting book. You know, uh, obviously the book is, we call it Genesis, uh, but in Hebrew, word is Bereshit. Uh, I'm not cussing. As a Bereshit, uh, the book, uh, if you ask a Jewish person, they will not say Genesis. They will say book of Bereshit, which is in the beginning. The book of in the beginning. And so we are actually diving right in every summer. Uh, we tried to study a book together last two years. Uh, we did the Gospel of John, but this year we really felt uh, to study this book together. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, last five Sunday, uh, we covered chapter 1 through 11. Uh, if you've been with us, I know there are a lot of things that Pastor Chris uh, uh, or other elders 
Scott and Jay spoke on uh, a lot of information. And some information are quite confusing, I'm sure. And I don't know about you, there are a lot of things. Pastor Chris keeps saying the word, I'm geeking out. Uh, I agree. Uh, you, you cannot geek out when you go to you know, Genesis. There's a lot of information from the Hebrew words to uh, looking into the documents that are outside, the extra biblical document that proves, actually, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the authenticity, uh, but also the, uh, uh, the historicity of actual Bible that you're reading. And so it's not just God speaking things into the being, which is the primary, but also the creation account to uh, the sin, the fall, and those kind of things. And these are all important, and here is why. The word is meta-narrative or grand narrative. There is a story within a story that tells you that one story, there's a bigger story that is taking place. We say this word in this way in theological terms is the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Again, creation, fall, redemption, and the restoration. And this is the meta narrative that is happening within the scripture. And so when we are studying Genesis, we see this beauty of a creation, God speak things into the being, things being created, everything coming alive. Last creation, God creates man. And that begins a story of this perfect union. God creates man in his image. What's that mean? The Imago Dei, we are all bear the image of God. And so this is God's creation. God is the one who creates. But bad thing happened when men decide to disobedient to the only command that's been given. The first commandment, be brutal and multiply, but there was also another command, which is do not touch or eat from the fruit or the tree of right, good, and evil. And so men disobey God and partake, and sin enters the scene, and that we call the fall. And the many of the issues today, what we're seeing in the world, whether it is in all entire human history, is because the things that we see is because of the fall has taken place. But that was not the original intent of God. God, what God created was tov, or good. It is man and it is disobedience that disobey God that creates this crazy downward spiral where the things start to become destructive. And we see that in the scripture. I would argue that even the greatest issue of today is this determining the first sin, the fall, the taking part of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is the problem that we're dealing with very today, isn't it? I wonder if that was God's intent. It's God's saving grace to save us from making that determination. For me, what I understand it is that God is the only one who determines right from wrong. But because we have taken that fruit, it's not an apple, by the way. There's no such thing. Anymore. After the partaking of 
The fruit now, we, you, me, are trying to determine what's right or wrong. Isn't that the story of today? We were never meant. We were designed to get right and wrong from the Creator. So issue is, you have the world that is determining what is right or wrong with their own eyes compared to God's people, God's covenanted people that determine what is right and wrong, not by themselves, but from what God has spoken in His Word. That's the beginning. The issue, the fall, has created this downward spiral that we see many things, the same things that we're experiencing today. But if we end the story there, then you might be saying, that's a really bad story. What's the hero in this story? What is the actual, is this story going to end well? Or is it going to end destructive? You ever seen a watch a movie or series that it doesn't end well? It put a bad taste in your mouth? I, I don't know about you. I don't either. But you want the hero to end the story well. And we want the story to end well. And this is a desire, I believe, that God has planted in our lives. That we know that even though there was a fall, God has made a plan. The plan of salvation that one day that God is going to redeem his people. That he's going to bring us back as if we were without sin, the justification, restoring us to our original state without sin. And then finally, the story will end, Jesus returning victoriously. We don't lose in this story. We already won. You see, time is coming. The restoration is coming. See, all throughout history, we were looking forward and looking ahead, knowing that the story is going to end, that Jesus will return, not as a lamb of God, but he will return as a lion, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will judge the living and the dead according to the scripture. So, on that note, we begin today's message. Theology of Genesis. The opening chapters of Genesis portray God in two complementary but complex ways. On the one hand, Genesis 1-1 to 2-3 presents him as a transcendent being who exists apart from and outside of the universe he creates. His authority and power are demonstrated by his ability to order the world merely by speaking. He is both God of order who establishes boundaries and the source of moral judgment who declares what is good. On the other hand, in Genesis 2.4 to 3.24, pictures God as imminent, a deity who sculpts the first man from the ground and later fashions from one of his ribs suitable companion for him. This God walks in the garden and communicates face-to-face with those he has created. Set side-by-side, both portraits of God brings out distinctive aspects of his nature. 
As the rest of Genesis unfolds, we witness in a variety of ways the transcendence and imminence of God as both judges human wrongdoing and graciously established by the means by which humanity may once again know His favor and blessing. Through the covenants that we will talk about today, that He established with Noah and Abraham, God reveals Himself as one who, is, who will be faithful to what He promises. In the outworking of His plan of salvation, God displays both His sovereignty and His graciousness, working patiently in the face of human rebellion and corruption. This is the story of God, the Genesis. In the beginning, God. And so let's go to the text today. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 17, not the entire book, uh, the entire chapter, but we're going to read a couple sections, okay? Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were in, then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham, Abram journeyed, going on still toward the Negev. Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I'll make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generation for an everlasting covenant. 
to be God to you and your descendants after you. Or so I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. The story of Abraham actually begins in chapter 11, towards the end of chapter 11. It mentions of Abraham's descent, where he come from. He actually come from his father, Terah. They are from a city called Ur. You are. Try to pronounce that hundred times and see if you can get it. Ur. His entire family, now I'm talking about the father of Abraham, Terah, decide to leave Ur and go to the place called Haran. And this is where Abraham is called by God to go to the land that he is calling him. And what would be my message without the map? So, here is the map and my wonderful laser pointer. I'm going to do this one. Can everybody see this one? Good. This is war. This is where Haran is. And this is Canaan. You might be wondering, why didn't you go this way? <laughs> Much quicker. What's this? Wait, why are you doing this? Go this way. Much faster. I know you guys are laughing, but this is a reason why. There's a reason why, okay? Sure. Well, interesting. That has nothing to do with that, but here we go. The reason why they didn't go this way is because this is Arabian desert. There is no water. But if you look at here, there's a river, Euphrates. So when you are actually traveling in the nomad, very dry desert, you want to travel alongside with the water, which makes perfect sense. You'll go this way. And this is a location where God calls Abram. But interesting story, part of the story is in chapter 11, Terah's original intent is to go to Canaan. But somehow, he ends up in Haran. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of reasoning. There are a lot of debates. I'm not going to get into because that's not part of the message today. I can't get there. Eric knows. <laughs> there's so many things that we can uncover and different things and whatnot, but this is what is important. Father Abraham will bring the family to Haran, but that's where they end. It is not until God will appear himself to Abram that journey, the faith of journey, will begin. I have always believed that any time when God calls a man and woman, we are all in a place of a making of decision. Shall we obey or shall we not obey? And here in this story, the very reason why we are reading about the story of Abram that's going to become Abraham is because he obeyed. He obeyed God. 
And it's important to know that the 14th chapter of Genesis will be dedicated unto one man and the story that entails within this one man. And it is really important for us also that it is very relevant for us today to hear. First, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house. Now, you have to understand, this is a difficult ask. This is an extremely difficult ask. Not only that he's already 75 years old. I don't know about you, I'm 40 now, so I'm mid-40. And if I have to uproot everything and move, I'd be like, eh, that's a strong move. Yeah. I would have my second thought, third thought, and fourth thoughts. 75 years old. Asked to uproot not only himself, but his family. Not only his family, but his entire identity. That he's been raised, that he knows of, to a land that he has no idea. What if God calls you to go to a place that you have no idea? Put yourself in the Abram's shoes. I'm sure there is emotions that are even being raised right now as you're thinking about what Abraham is probably dealing at this point. To give up everything that all he knows? To do what? to go to a land that I have no idea. But what causes him to go is a study of its own. And a lot of times the New Testament goes crazy on it. The very reason why we are even studying, the very reason the, the writers of the New Testament mentions of Abraham over and over and over, including Jesus, our Savior himself. It's all because there is a story within a story that's foretelling is what is to come. But it is a very difficult task to a land that I will show you. And he hasn't seen the land yet. Don't forget. Interesting to know, in verse 1, 2, and throughout the scriptures that we just read this morning, that there's a lot of I will. I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who curses you. I will. It is interesting, but last week we studied on the Tower of Babel. And this group of prideful men gets together and decide to build a tower. Good for them. But here is the issue. The music is different. What I mean by that is, in chapter 11, verse 3, the people say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city. And finally, 
Let us make a name for ourselves. Pass forward to the story of Abram is, I will make your name great. It's not you. Your accomplishment, things that you do will make your name great. I will. God will ultimately make your name great. And that's what we see here. He will not only show you the land, but he will make your great nation. Blessings. You shall be a blessing. Three things that God promised is a land. If you're going to be a nation, you're going to need a land. Yes? If you're going to be a nation, of course. Now, if you're going to be just a... You're not going to need a land, but you're going to need a land if you're going to be a nation. And that's exactly what. But not only any nation, he's going to make you a great nation. And blessings and making your name great is the promise that God makes to Abram. And now he makes decision. And he leaves Haran. Interesting thing to know is that where he actually come from, they're pagan worshipers, actually. The Ul and Haran is a pagan worship center. They actually worship moon, the moon god. And there is an evidence, archaeological evidence, that believed that there was a human sacrifice. And this is the area that he's leaving. To go where? To go to Canaan. Canaan itself, the people that were dwelling at that time also were pagan worshipers. Molech is known for child sacrifice. They are being practiced the place where Abram is going, it seems as if when he is moving forward, it doesn't look that great. There's a lot of problem. Abram departed as the Lord has spoken to him, and Lot went with him. He's 75 years old, and he finally arrives in Canaan. And Abram passed through the land, place, land to the place called Shechem, which is in the middle part of Canaan, and the city actually still exists today when you go. In the map, the modern city is called Nebulus, but the city, the ancient city of Shechem still can be found. Archaeologists have found these places. In verse 6, as far as Terebinth's tree of Moreh, anybody know what Terebinth's tree is? Raise your hand if you know what Terebinth's tree is. Of course not. Nobody should know what terebinth tree was. I didn't know what terebinth tree was until I got to Israel. The, actually, the word terebinth tree um, is actually mistranslation. It's actually the oak tree, okay? But terebinth is a female uh, uh, tree of uh, oak. So there's a female tree, and I'm not a plant person. So, Casey, where are you in Indonesia? The, the, there's a male tree, and there's a female tree, which I don't know anything about, but... The female tree is called terebinth tree, okay? That's what, but it's an oak tree. Everybody okay? Good? Information, you're like, why are you telling me all this? I don't need to know this. But I want to give you something that you can always have a conversation. Did you know the terebinth tree <laughs> is a female version of the oak tree? All right, there you go. 
Let's get back to the scripture. And the Canaanites were in the land. So when he arrived, there were people already dwelling there. It's not a brand new land. There were people already there. Again, child sacrifice is evident. They're pagan worshipers. And so this is the area that Abram is walking into, him and his family. And so he's probably wondering, is this the right place? Have you ever thought, have you ever asked that question when you feel like the Lord has called you to one assignment, you start to wonder and ask yourself questions, God, is this the right place for me to be at? And that's exactly the time that God revealed himself again. To your descendants, I will give this land. He assures that even in the midst of a complication and the difficulty of acquiring that land, God is the one who intervenes and says, you're at the right place. This is the land that I'm going to give to you and to your descendants. So wherever you are in life right now, if you feel like that you're at the wrong place, and you feel like you're in the wilderness, if God has called you, be faithful. If job stinks, if your boss is really hard to work with, be faithful. Whatever you are, be faithful where God has called you. In chapter 17, Abraham is 99 years old now. Okay, time has passed. 75 year old in chapter 12, now he's 99 years old. Man, he has seen some things. He has experienced and seen some things. And if you think about the life of Abram, you start to recognize Abram is not a model citizen. It's not. If you tell me that mm, Abram was such a great man, he did everything right. He did everything right in the sight of God. Believe me, I'm, I want to imitate Abram because he has such a high faith, and I want to imitate him. And you start to look at what he actually did. Man, he, he sell out his wife when he went to the Egypt. Hey, uh, I, want, I, I always try to, try to recreate this uh, conversation between, you know, I don't know about you, I do this all the time. So. Abram is probably going to... Uh, uh, Sarah, and he was like, hey, uh, since we go down to Egypt right now, uh, you're beautiful. And so, <laughs> since you're beautiful, they might think, they might kill me, you know, uh, to take you. And so why don't you just tell everybody that you're my sister? I wonder what Sarah's thinking. <laughs> right? Ladies, what if your husband say, hey, uh, I don't want to die, so why don't you just lie for me? <laughs> no, of course not, right? It's just hideous, but that's exactly what Abram does. Not once, twice. Twice he did this. Come on, man. Don't sell out your wife. Not only that, he has conflicts, many different conflicts. One is with his family, the Lot, his nephew, 
There's a conflict between him and Lot. And so they separate their way, but that's not the end, isn't it? Lot, in his smart brain, decided to go to Sodom and Gomorrah instead of going elsewhere to shepherd. He should not be going to the city. And that's a whole other area that I can't get to. And so there was a war. There was a great war. And Lot get captured. And he's being taken as a slave. And so Abraham hears about it. He has to stop what he's doing. Even though they already separate their ways, he has to go save this guy, nephew. Trouble, trouble, trouble. But I would say, when he's 86 years old, he have a child. Now, I'm not going to get into if it's a legitimate child or not a legitimate child. That's not our issue here. Because God has commanded, God told Abraham that he will also bless Ishmael. Ishmael is not our enemy. As a lot of times we hear the world say it to be. 13 years after bearing Ishmael, God appears again. This time, this time, 13 years has passed since the birth of Ishmael. Finally, 13 years later, he appears at 99 years old. And he says to Abram, I am almighty God, El Shaddai. The translation, Almighty God, is not enough. El Shaddai is all-powerful, sovereign, sufficient God. When we say Almighty God, all-powerful, sovereign, sufficient God, appears and or say who he is, and he says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? God is telling Abram, who have plenty to blame, full of flaws, to say, walk with me and be blameless. God does not use perfect vessels. God used broken ones. I'll say that again. God uses broken vessels, not the perfect ones. Because if it is perfect, the all glory go to that person. If he's broken, full of flaws, full of problems, God will glorify through it. And that's what God does here. And what does he say to Abram? I will make my covenant between me and you. God initiate this covenant with Abram with full of flaws, full of issues. But God still make covenant with Abram. Not only that, he gives him new name. That you will not be called Abram, which means exalted father. You will be called Abraham. Father of many nations, which is the word play here in verse 5. For I have made you a father of many nations. That's what his name 
means name goes to a guy that had a one son that was not the promised son, which we will see. But God is still going to bring what he has promised in chapter 12. And we see that. And that's how the story ends. You see, Abraham will see the birth of Isaac, the promised child. But is that it, though? Now, I don't know about you. If you want to be a father of many generations, descendants, one thing he get to witness before his death, he get to see the birth of his grandsons. I think there is a, a, a just the graciousness of God in that. Assurance. God reveals himself, not only through the one son, but the grandson, letting him know the generation is going to be blessed through the line of Abraham. I always wonder, why does God save you and me? Why? So that we can have a good life here on earth? Is that it? Is that it? Is entire our life is just about me, myself, and I? I would say no. The very reason why God saves his people in order that we may bless the next generation. And that's the story. See, if we're so caught up in the Western world, this is the problem. We're so worried about ourselves and our well-being, we forget that there will be a generation that's coming after us. Are we investing our next generation? Are we making sure that what they're getting is better than what we had? I also, I don't know about you, I'm a father of two beautiful girls. I was not from Christian home. I was born in a Buddhist family. And all my life, the way to touch the divine was through the Buddhism. Until Christ intervened. When God entered the scene. And the more I understand this beautiful story of the gospel, I recognize story is not about you, it's surely not about me, but it's about what God wants to do to, through you that his name be glorified. And then next generation, the people that are coming after us will pick up the mantle we will leave behind. And the generation we're raising a generation. Oh, it gives me goosebumps. I'm just getting excited. Knowing that next generation is going to be on fire for God. My children is going to grow up in a Christian household. They will, they will know God. They will encounter God. They will know his word. And they will have a father that will love them and point them to Christ. That excites me. That excites me. Not only just my family but you, that you will be transformed, that you will go and invest in the next generation. 
But that's the story. That's what this beautiful story is all about that we're reading. And this covenant that he makes is an everlasting covenant. It's an eternal covenant. And we see this le'olam in Hebrew or the everlasting appears again and again throughout the scripture. But I believe that it's been perfected in the entering of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have le'olam, everlasting, eternal, covenant relationship with God, and that is the gospel. And so, in a way, this story has been perfected. The story of Abraham is a story of men. We can relate. He was not perfect, but God still uses men to bring a generation, bring the entire generation, but also the most important promise, which is the generation or the person, the Savior is going to come through that line. 2,000 years ago, that exactly happened. And the main reason why you and I are sitting here today is not because how great we are. It's because the sacrificial atonement of Jesus on that cross. Not only that, he has risen on the third day. God's promise is perfect. He is going to bring it to pass. I don't know where you are. You might be in a part of a journey where you don't feel like that you are there. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're part of the story where you are in a where where God is not speaking. Don't worry. God's going to finish what he has started in your life, as he did with Abraham, Abraham and so many men and women of God that throughout the world, lived throughout the history. It's going to happen. Take courage in that. Just a few things before I end here. I want to share three things that we can learn from this story today. First, faith requires obedience. Faith requires obedience. When God calls his people, there is a choice. You either obey or disobey. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, we see Jesus in his obedience. He says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Praise God. Faith requires obedience. Second, God's covenant is eternal. God's covenant is eternal. When God makes covenant with us, it's an eternal covenant. He's not going to change his mind. When God saves, when you make covenant, when God makes covenant with you, it's an eternal covenant. And take comfort knowing that we have a God that is, that is same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, he's not going to randomly change his mind. Well, I'm done with you. That's not the God we serve. And I think God has proven that in and through his son. And finally, 
God fulfills his promise. God fulfills his promise. The greatest promise that came to being was 2,000 years ago through the birth of Jesus, through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That the nations, nations, will have a covenant relationship with God. We're living in a redemptive time. That does not mean we can just do and just live for ourselves. Because it is a redemptive era, that means we must go. We must go and make disciples. We must go and proclaim the message of the saving grace, the saving knowledge of Christ to the world that is desperate, is looking for an answer. Will the church respond and go to the place where no one else will go? I pray that our church, that you, the men and women called by God, the saved by God, will go forth and share the good news that God has entrusted to you. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for your gospel, your good news. That, Lord God, that you have made yourself known throughout the history. But ultimately through your son, God, I just thank you. Thank you for the promises that you have made. Thank you for the faithfulness. Thank you for the finished work of Christ. And Lord, the journey, the story that you're being told today. I just pray for our saints here, these saints that you have called. I pray that, Lord, you encourage them, that you empower them to go out to be the blessings for the nations, that they will not sit back, relax. But, Lord, I ask you to give them the burdens for the lost. I ask you to give them the desires zeal for your house that they will proclaim your word the saving grace to the world god i just thank you in jesus name amen